Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to where Noad left off last time, which is Acts chapter 22. And we'll pick up there. Acts chapter 22, verse 22. Paul has just uh, been interrupted in the middle of his sermon, his appeal to the Jews. In verse 22, it says, and they listened to him until this word. What was the word? Gentiles. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered with a large sum. I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit but the pharisees confess both then there arose a loud outcry and the scribes of the pharisees party arose and protested saying we find no evil in this man but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him let us not fight against god now when there arose a great dissension the commander fearing lest paul might be pulled to pieces by them commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. <clears throat> I said last time that um, Paul is about to be taken out of circulation. In fact, really, he already is. And it'll be for a period of about four years total. And it's good when we see God doing things. Remember, Christ is building his church. This is not just, you know, bad circumstances that kind of surprised uh, God. He knew what was going on he was permitting it and he was doing it for a reason 
And uh, I suggested four possible reasons. When God does something, he has many purposes. Uh, manifold, the manifold wisdom of God, it says in Ephesians. We do one thing, we mean one thing generally. God accomplishes a lot of things. And so I uh, suggested, perhaps, first of all, you know, Paul wanted to visit Rome. He said that in the letter, remember. He said it here in the book of Acts. And I think God was granting that request. The, the capital of the empire, he'd never uh, been able to preach there, and he longed to do that. I think God was granting that request. But uh, not in a way I don't think Paul expected, because he would be a prisoner there. But along the way, over the next four years, he is going to be inside uh, palaces and, and speaking to rulers and governors, a place where the gospel usually didn't penetrate. So I think God was going to use that circumstance as well to take uh, the gospel where it had not gone before. We know also from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians that there were brethren who came out and began preaching because Paul was out of circulation. And that's often the case. God will uh, remove uh, a Christian man, a, a prominent leader, and uh, the young man often will stand in to fill the gap. And it's an opportunity for a younger man to be raised up. Finally, certainly, uh, God used this time of imprisonment to uh, provide four wonderful epistles, and we would be much the poorer without them. They're called the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But today, I want to focus on a, a fifth purpose. Certainly, we know that God was working in Paul's life personally. And that's what I want to think about. As we go through this, <clears throat> often these last chapters of Acts, we just kind of scan over it, it just seems like kind of one interesting event after another. But if you, if you look at it from Paul's point of view and you, and you realize that the Lord is also working in his life, you see some wonderful things. In particular, I want us to think of two things that I think God was uh, teaching Paul through these circumstances particularly that we're going to see in our passage here today. First, well, we know uh, what Paul was learning because he wrote about it in a very short while in the epistle the letter to the philippians where he said i have learned in whatever circumstances i am to be content he, and he's been abounding now he's being abased as he says in that and he's learned the secret he says to be content in whatever circumstances he's in in fact he goes on to say in that section in philippians i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and i know young believers memorize that and and a lot of christians kind of take that phrase to mean you know you can go out and move mountains and and uh, collect a million dollars and you know whatever else that's not not what he's talking about when he says i can do all things through christ through strength who strengthens me he's particularly talking about uh going through suffering through trials with contentment and peace and joy that's really what he's talking about and certainly he's learning that lesson in this section well the other of course i believe is also uh in philippians chapter 3 and that's what I, I really want to focus on at the beginning here you know often we read about the sufferings of uh people in the bible certainly the lord jesus paul here and we we, we forget it hurts you know we just kind of read over these things and we think they're kind of like superman and and you know well they trust the lord and so it's no big deal well that's not true they got discouraged you know they hurt they experienced sorrow certainly in this passage paul did and and uh it was particularly important then that the lord jesus uh 
take care of him, encourage him, and strengthen him. We're going to see that. So the second thing I believe was something that he said in Philippians. He said he he uh, was sharing the, the fellowship of his sufferings, the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, being conformed to his death. So let's look now. Um, first of all, just just uh, and help us to get into the the, the mind of Paul and, and what he was going through. Remember. <coughs> To begin with, he was in the temple doing something, by the way, to win the hearts of the Jews, remember? He was going through that ceremonial cleansing because the brethren suggested it because they thought it might help make him more acceptable to the other Jews. Remember that? (laughs) And they come and they haul him out and they start beating him and they want to kill him. It says that. Now, imagine yourself, you've been captured by this mob. You're being beaten. And you, you can beat somebody to death. And that's what they were doing. So he's, he's being pummeled. You know, he, he's feeling these blows. And just in the nick of time, uh, the, the Roman cohort comes and snatches him away from this mob before they manage to kill him. How would you feel? He hadn't done anything. In fact, he was doing his best to try to build a bridge to these Jews. And as he went through these things, I, I would imagine he would, he, knowing Paul and certainly from his letters and the kind of man he is, besides being hurt, I think he would also reflect and think about the sufferings of the Lord, particularly being in Jerusalem where the Lord suffered. And maybe uh, as he, he's thinking how he's tried his best to, to reach uh, his fellow Jews and all they're doing is is uh, rejecting him and hating him he might have thought of the uh, passage quoted in john about the lord jesus they hated me without a cause you know you ever had that Had somebody hate you without a, a reason paul was experiencing that and it hurt you know uh then we saw in uh, chapter 21 verse 36 they cry out, they say, away with him. Here they said, as we read uh, the passage this morning, this man doesn't deserve to live. Imagine being treated that way by your own people. You know, many of them, your former friends, people you know. And as he, as he heard those words, and certainly it had to cut him deeply, he, perhaps he thought of how it said of the Lord Jesus, he came to his own and his own received him not. It had to hurt. And then, as we said, certainly the physical pain of being beaten here. Uh, he had to have been bleeding by the time the Romans got there, covered with bruises. And and yet, think about it. You know, I would, I would think many of us, uh, after having been nearly beaten to death, and finally someone comes and pulls you away to go, you know, let me out of here get me away from these people as fast as you can and as they start leading him up to the barracks remember what he did he had such a heart for the jews that he tr- he wanted to try again think about it. he's going up the, the stairs and as he looks he thinks there they are now they can't get to me they need to know christ here i am uh, in a ready-made pulpit you know i want to preach christ to them that's that's his heart you see, he loved them that much. We know that from Romans 9, remember. 
And, and so he turned and, and he preached and he tried his best. He spoke in Hebrew and you saw how he carefully tried to reason with them and get them to see how it had been God who had been working in his life. But uh, as we saw, as soon as he said that word Gentiles, that was it. They, they were off. And uh, just think of, of Paul, uh, all of the things he tried to do. To, to a, you, ever, you ever felt that way maybe with a loved one, you know, a, a close friend, a family member? You try everything in the world to try to appeal to them, to reason with them. And all you get is a slap in the face. You know, it just doesn't seem like you're even making a dent. Paul, he, he tried, he brought the gift from the Gentiles. I think he saw that also as a way to show that the Gentiles, now that knew Christ, you know, uh, were, were caring for the Jews. His temple ceremony, his appeal from the stairs, he was trying everything and it was all failing. And uh, maybe, you know, as, as he saw them go into this frenzy, you wonder what he was going to say, by the way. You know, the, the last half of the book of Acts is the book of unfinished sermons including Stephen, you know, you, you wonder what more these men wanted to say when they were so often interrupted. Paul certainly wanted to go on and, and preach the gospel, but they wouldn't let him. And he had the heart of someone who he, he longed for these people to, to hear the gospel, to see their need, and they refused with anger. And maybe he thought of the Lord Jesus. You know, we're only told twice in the gospels the lord jesus wept once was of course at the tomb of lazarus and the other was right at the end of his ministry just days before he was crucified when he came into jerusalem and there on the the hill opposite the hill on which jerusalem sits he could look across the valley and he saw the city and he, he knew he would be seeing it for the last time and he it says he wept over the city imagine what his heart must have been feeling like at that time he wept and we're told in Luke, he said, how often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He wanted, but they just refused. And perhaps again, Paul got a taste of the heart of the Lord Jesus, the fellowship of his sufferings here as he tried to reach out to the Jews and they refused. Well, that, so maybe that's a little bit of a picture of where Paul is coming from. Yeah, he's not a man of stone. I believe he's discouraged. He's hurting inside. We'll find that out in a minute. Well, imagine the poor Roman commander now. Uh, he's been hearing Paul speaking in Hebrew, hasn't understood a word of what he said. All he knows is, <clears throat> all of a sudden, for some reason, right in the middle of his talking, listen to this. It says, uh, they cried out, tore off their clothes. It doesn't mean they stripped naked. It means they tore off their outer garments. And, and listen to this, and they threw dust in the air. These guys are going nuts. And the commander is wondering, what is going on? Why are they acting this way? And he doesn't know what to do because he can't understand the Hebrew language. So like a good Roman soldier, he knows uh, there's a way to get people to talk. It's called scourging. And you've been around the Bible long enough, you know what that is. The Lord Jesus was scourged. It's where they take that whip with the bits of bone and sharp uh, uh, metal, bits of metal and so on, and they uh, whip a person bareback until literally the bones show. It's a horrible, horrible punishment, but it's a handy mechanism for these guys because they know that the person will tell them whatever they want to hear, even if it's not true. 
And so that's what, they, that's what they're going to do to Paul. Now, Paul doesn't get scourged. But I'm wondering, because they go so far, he doesn't say he's a citizen until well into the process. Because they got him there, the, the uh, soldiers that are going to participate in this event who have to uh, tie him and then hold him, and then the, the guy that does it, they're all ready. So no doubt he saw the whip. And maybe just for a moment, it probably flashed on him, you know, what the Lord Jesus, because the Lord Jesus wasn't spared this as he is about to be. And he, and, and he, for a moment, you know, realized what a Savior had suffered. But then, of course, as you know, Paul uh, brings up the subject that he's a Roman citizen. <clears throat> we don't have that uh, today. You can't be the citizen of a city unless, I guess, maybe Washington, D.C. But in those days... It was a big deal to be a citizen of the city of Rome. It was the capital city. And there were three ways to get it. You could either be born in Rome. Uh, you could do something really great for the, for the empire, some great act or service, in which case it would be given to you, and your descendants would inherit it from you. That's how Paul had it. His father was a Roman citizen, and he got it through his father. <clears throat> the third way, as we saw in the passage, like the commander, Lysias, that's his name, he purchased it. But it's very expensive. As he said, I, I paid a great sum for this citizenship. <clears throat> well, Paul got it through birth because of his father. And um, the reason his uh, saying that he was a citizen had such an impact on the, on the cohort here was because you were not supposed to scourge a Roman citizen. In fact, you weren't even supposed to bind him without a trial. So... <laughs> This poor commander, all of a sudden, as you saw, it says they all backed off. You can just kind of see them like Paul has the plague. You know, whoa, you know, what do we do now? <clears throat> uh, so I thought you'd be interested here. It was a big deal to be a Roman citizen. Listen to these benefits they had. Um, you had the right to vote, the right to make legal contracts and to hold property as a Roman citizen. Not, not like anybody else. That was a special deal. The right to have a lawful marriage with a Roman citizen and to have the children of any such marriage be counted as Roman citizens. You had the right to stand for civil or public office. You had the right to sue in the courts. People who weren't Roman citizens couldn't do that. The right to appeal from the decisions of magistrates, in case you didn't like the outcome. The right to have a trial, to appear before a proper court and to defend oneself. The right not to be subjected to torture or scourging. That's the one, the law that they were about to violate here. The right of immunity from some taxes and other legal obligations. And finally, a Roman citizen could not be sentenced to death unless he was found guilty of treason. If accused of treason, a Roman citizen had the right to be tried in Rome. And even if sentenced to death, no Roman citizen could be sentenced to die at the cross. Paul was beheaded because of that law. Peter, on the other hand, was not a Roman citizen. As we know, he was crucified. <clears throat> well, as I thought about it, it's interesting. <clears throat> I looked up the, uh, the benefits of being a U.S. citizen. And they're amazingly similar. Listen to this. You can vote. Uh, you can leave the U.S. <clears throat> and live in another country for as long as you want, yet still come back at any time. In addition, uh, while you're uh, traveling in foreign lands, you receive U.S. government protection and assistance when required. Um, you can petition for a wide variety of foreign family members to come to the U.S. as permanent residents. 
you cannot be deported you're eligible for some public benefits like social security food stamps as well as certain academic scholarships and financial aid only a citizen has the right to hold an elected position in most city state or federal offices and many federal state and city jobs also require citizenship children of u.s citizens automatically become u.s citizens themselves and finally citizens of the u.s often receive approval on loans and mortgages more easily and or get better rates why am i doing all this well because not long after this i've been referring to the letter to the philippian church paul wrote the epistle to the philippians and there in chapter 3 verse 20 i think he was thinking of this whole episode here as he wrote these words he said our citizenship is where it's in heaven those are wonderful words think about that our citizenship brothers and sisters is in heaven that you think roman citizenship was great man that's nothing to be a citizen of heaven that's incredible think about that it means you belong there it means it's your homeland okay it means now you're a stranger and a sojourner here <laughs> and you're not home yet and as i thought about it there are benefits to being a citizen of heaven and they're slightly better than the ones of rome in the u.s listen to this each citizen of heaven has a place prepared especially for them by the lord jesus christ a place to live and this home will last for eternity how's that for starters not bad huh each citizen this is clothing is provided with a permanent robe of righteousness it will never age get soiled or wear out third once he or she is in their homeland a citizen of heaven will never experience sorrow sickness sin or death imagine that there is no country on earth that can offer that as a benefit by the way that implies that each citizen will live forever they're not going to experience death that's just an added feature third pardon me fourth uh no citizen can be deported why because you're kept by the power of god fifth each citizen is also has also been adopted as a child of god so you're not just a resident we're family members sixth each citizen has an inheritance which is reserved in heaven for them i'm quoting the bible on these okay so we know these are true this is the last but certainly the best each citizen will be with jesus christ forever how's that are you a citizen of heaven you'd know it you're sitting here this morning each person in this room is either a citizen or you're not there's no in between if you are all these blessings these benefits are yours they cannot be taken away they are they are guaranteed if you don't if you're not a citizen of heaven well let's think about how you can become one because you can everybody can become a citizen of heaven first of all uh, unlike the citizenship of rome <clears throat> you can't be born into it your parents may be christians you may be christians back to six generations 
but you can't be born into being a citizen of heaven. It's impossible. In fact, <clears throat> you're, you're just like me. You're born in sin. You're a citizen of this world for a very brief time, and then you'll be a citizen of hell permanently. So that's out. Uh, the other way, we said, you could obtain Roman citizenship was through some kind of special deeds or service. Well, I'm sorry. That option's out. Okay. In fact, we're told our best effort, our righteousness, is what? Filthy rags. That's right. That means our best now. We're not talking about the sin. We're talking about the best effort when it comes to earning a place in heaven. Uh-uh, no good. <clears throat> it's interesting. I think maybe you wonder why God has such detail on all this stuff about the citizenship or between Paul and the commander. And I'm wondering if he didn't include this phrase just as a picture to us because he says with a large sum i obtained this citizenship because that's the only way you can get citizenship into heaven you don't pay it but let me tell you it requires a very large sum in fact it's so large you could never afford it no person could ever afford the price that has to be paid to obtain citizenship in heaven because you're not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He paid the price. That's the great sum, you see. He, isn't that great? What a wonderful Savior. He paid the price for your citizenship in heaven. And that's how you become a citizen of heaven, you see. You come to him and you say, Lord, I'm helpless. I'm empty. I, I have nothing to offer. The only thing I can offer is the deserving of hell. But you died for me, and I trust you for the salvation of my soul. Lord, here I come. I give my life to you. And now you're not going to receive a, a physical piece of paper, but there is an entry made, and it's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is entered, and you're now a citizen of heaven if you do that. And it can never be revoked. It's forever. Have you done that? <clears throat> well... <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, <clears throat> commander Lysias is uh, at his wit's end now. Uh, he doesn't know how to get to the bottom of things. And so his only idea is to hold another hearing with the Jews. And he's going to try to get them to explain what the problem is. So verse 30, he, he uh, has another meeting of the council. <clears throat> and in verse 1, it's interesting it says then paul looking earnestly at the council and i'm sure many of you know that the you know many commentators believe when paul talks about his thorn in the flesh many think it was that he had very poor eyesight there are some things that may indicate that and when they read this they say see he, he was squinting you know he was he was straining to see them because of his poor eyesight i don't think that's true i think uh, luke is writing that to tell us just like in all the other cases how earnestly paul wanted to reach them he sees this as one more opportunity now to have them as an audience to be able to speak to them about the lord jesus and you saw how far he got you wonder where paul was going to go you know in trying to appeal to them certainly he must have thought about the words he'd say he prayed about it <clears throat> he gets one sentence out he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And certainly he would not have known the reaction that would have uh, caused. It, 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 he would not have said it. But 
you know from their point of view for him to say that he's saying i'm a follower of christ and that's good that's a good thing god wants me to do that well they can't stand that you see and they get all riled up and the high priest of course uh has him struck in the mouth for the mouth because of what he just said you see is a punishment certainly paul is right in what he says this guy's a judge that's not a lawful way to treat someone who's on trial <clears throat> and uh <clears throat> while we're on the subject <clears throat> paul uh is criticized by some christians some commentators for saying these sharp words in fact in this section you'd be surprised how many people criticize paul for the things that he does they criticize him <clears throat> excuse me first of all for going to jerusalem because of the remember the spirit was saying you know all these things are going to happen to you and all of his friends were saying please don't go to jerusalem and they say paul shouldn't have gone to jerusalem uh many of them say well that uh, purification right he went through at the temple i mean that's wrong you know that's that's a, a jewish thing he's a christian he shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff and they criticize him for using his roman citizenship to get out of scourging they criticize him for his sharp words here they criticize him for using this difference between the pharisees and the sadducees uh to get out of the the uh, confrontation here first of all be careful because we're told in the bible not to judge another man's servant paul's not your servant and he's not mine he's the servant of the lord jesus he's not going to answer to you and he's not going to answer to me he's going to answer to the lord but we're going to we're going to take those issues on in just a minute not right now okay i'm just going to raise a maybe as we've gone through this you see maybe some of you said should paul have done that you know was that right we're going to talk about it in a minute but not right now um <clears throat> paul used the division between the pharisees and the sadducees to set them against each other he, he knew these guys he was a pharisee and he knew the difference between the sadducees and the pharisees <clears throat> he tells us here <clears throat> the sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead they didn't believe in anything spiritual in that sense uh, spirits and angels now you know about the sadducees because they were the guys that came up with that silly uh, test of the lord jesus remember the, there wasn't a real woman they made up this woman who was married to seven husbands remember that one by one they died and she asked the question or they asked uh, jesus the question thank you <clears throat> when she dies which husband is she going to be married to you got seven she's going to be married to all seven they thought boy we really got him now you know if he says one what about the other six and if he says seven how can you be married to seven people at the same time and of course they were totally out of it they, and as he said they didn't understand the power of god <clears throat> he says in heaven they neither marry nor are given in marriage you see you don't need a, a a perfect counterpart anymore because jesus is your perfect counterpart and when you have him i know it sounds difficult husbands and wives but you don't need your husband and wife or wife anymore because you have jesus personally <clears throat> well that's that's the group that uh he was uh he knew was present and uh as soon as he says i am being put on trial for the resurrection of the dead that uh there would be a big fight and of course there was <clears throat> and it got so bad uh apparently they began to come down on paul again because it says here 
that uh, the soldiers had to go and take him by force <laughs> from among them because they were going to tear him to pieces. That's what the Bible says. So you can imagine poor Paul. Here he is again, you know. <clears throat> and as they bring him into the barracks, now just think about it. Paul has tried again to reason with the Jews, to appeal to them. This time he got out one sentence. And all it ended up with, they wanted to kill him again. Here he is, locked up in the Roman barracks. He's hated by his countrymen, rejected by them. They want to kill him. He's uh, being held prisoner by the Gentiles. They almost scourged him once. There's no end in sight. How is this thing going to end? And he's got to be discouraged. You know, up until this point in the book of Acts, yeah, he was uh, he spent a night in jail in Philippi and he certainly suffered for the Lord. But by and large, he's traveled around freely. He's preached the word openly, seen uh, churches planted, people saved, saints encouraged and edified. And uh, here he is now locked up for who knows how long. And he's got to be discouraged. Now we come to the jewel of this section. It's a single verse. And it's right in the middle of what we're going to look at this morning. But it's a precious verse. Verse 11 of chapter 23. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Man, that's great. Paul needed encouraging. We know that because that's what Jesus says. His words literally are take courage. He says that because he's discouraged. And Jesus knew that. Jesus is, let me tell you, Jesus wasn't off busy somewhere and he just found out, oh no, Paul needs help. Okay? He has been close to Paul the whole time. But at this point, he realizes Paul really needs some encouragement. And this verse is so precious. There's so much in this verse, uh, the way it's described. <clears throat> First of all, the timing and the place. Uh, you know, the Lord could have appeared to Paul just about anywhere. Out in the open somewhere. Before he came to Jerusalem, maybe. You know, with the believers present. But here he is locked up in a cell in the barracks. And just imagine... He, he's got to think, man, uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm down, you know. And here I am locked up in this cell, shut out from everybody, my friends. And Jesus appears in the cell. Isn't that great? And it doesn't, uh, first of all, Jesus, he could have sent an angel, right? It could have been just a voice, could have been just a vision. He could have done a lot of things. But it says, the Lord stood by him important word he stood by him isn't that great he didn't just uh, give a voice he didn't just kind of appear but there he is standing and so here's the picture paul is in the room and there's the lord jesus standing physically right beside him encouraging him as i read those words some of the last words recorded words we have of paul are right at the end of second timothy chapter four It's the last uh, words we have written anyway by him. And in there, talking about his trial, he says, but no man stood by me. 
But then he goes on in the next verse to say, but the Lord stood by me. But the Lord stood by me. Isn't that good? And here is the Lord again, standing by him. You know, at one moment, I think he's really at the bottom. No, no, no friends, no help, a bleak future. And all of a sudden, now here's the Lord standing by him. You think he's encouraged? Boy. <clears throat> he's standing there comforting him, strengthening him. By standing there by him, he's also saying, Paul, I'm with you. You're not alone. Okay, he's telling them that. His first words are wonderful. We, I have it in my version, be of good cheer. Literally take courage. And, I, and there's no way I'm going to be able to say it, to say it the way the Lord Jesus would have said it. It would have been with compassion. Take courage, Paul. That's the other thing. Uh, he used his name. You say, well, sure. Well, we do. Remember, this is God. He's his creator. He could have just as easily said, be, be of good cheer, man. You know, that's important. Be of good cheer, Paul. Like you speaking to me, like me speaking to you. Personal. And then I said we were going to address this issue. What about all the mistakes Paul had been making? Well, let's see if we find them here. Here's Jesus' opportunity to bring them up. You know, you know, Paul, you kind of stretched the boundaries a little bit in the way you've been behaving lately. Does he say that? Look at what he says. He says, As you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. Sounds like a commendation to me, huh? I don't see any criticism there. He's, he's commending him. That's got to that's got to strengthen Paul just right there. You know, the Lord's saying you're doing you're doing great. You're doing exactly what I want. Stay in there. I got more for you to do. Isn't that good, man? That's got to lift his spirits. And that's that's perhaps out of the whole thing. I think this is probably the the uh, most strengthening part of what he says. He says, so you must also bear witness at Rome. You realize when Jesus says that, is Paul going to go to Rome? (laughs) you better believe it if jesus says you must bear witness for me also at rome that means paul right now knows he is not only going to get to rome while he is there he is going to testify for the lord i don't care what happens by the way it's going to be another two years yet of imprisonment before he gets there okay and he's going to go through some harrowing circumstances including a shipwreck where the, the the satyrs are crying out You know, during that whole time, Paul has these words of rock to hang on to. You must bear witness to me in Rome. So he knew he wasn't going to drown in the shipwreck. He knew he wasn't going to be taken by the Jews and uh, killed. He wasn't going to be executed by the Romans before that. Like Peter on the waves when he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. And Jesus said, one word, come. With that word, Peter had the ability to walk on the water not because he could do it but because jesus said to do it you see and when he said come he he literally laid concrete between him and peter on the water and so it is here with paul by the way it's important jesus didn't just say you will bear witness you say what's a small thing no it's not what did he say he said you must you see the difference he could say you will bear witness 
if you'd said that, you could, you could think, for example, well, we know how badly Paul wanted to go, and so Jesus is kind of accommodating him, you know. I know you really want to go badly, Paul, so you'll go. He doesn't say that. He says you must. He's saying it's necessary. I want it to happen. I feel it must happen. You see the difference? And so Paul, now, this is telling Paul, I have a lot more for you to do. It's my purpose for you to go. You're obeying me by going there and serving me. Isn't that good? Every little word is so important here. You must be witness for me. I said it was a critical time. You're going to see just how critical it was. Because not only was Paul at a low point, I believe, emotionally, probably, and spiritually, certainly physically, look what happens next. Verse 12. And when it was day... Some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Think about that. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son, what does that make him in relation to Paul? Nephew, that's right. Uh, Heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were about to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Now you see how important that encouragement was. Imagine, I think if Paul had heard this news without that encouragement, I'd give up. 40 guys, these are zealous Jews, okay? When they say it, they mean it. They are not going to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. Can you imagine that? Imagine 40 gang members from your, you know, area And you've heard that they've taken an oath with each other. They're going to kill you and they're not going to eat or drink until they've done it. How would you feel? (laughs) Yeah. And so Paul can look back on the previous night, you see, and the words of the Lord Jesus. Uh, You must bear witness to me in Rome. Well, there we go. I can tell you this, that it takes long enough to get to Rome. I don't care if you go by boat or by land, that these guys are going to be long dead. Okay, so they're not going to get to you. 
they will have long ago perished by the time you get there and so certainly uh he is safe from this conspiracy as terrible terrible as it sounds and i love this passage because as usual the lord delights in using the weak to bring to nothing the strong this i don't know if you notice this nephew of his is a pretty young guy we have a little clue you know where it is it's it's where it says the commander took him by the hand you see he's not going to do that with a grown man all right <laughs> so he's probably about an eight ten year old kid you see a little boy this little boy comes wandering into the barracks you know about a week of things you can have and god uses that boy you see to to save paul i love it it's intriguing we don't know because god doesn't tell us in uh, uh verse 16 it just says paul's sister's son heard of their ambush it'd be interesting to know how he found out wouldn't it you know so one of the council members obviously couldn't uh, contain himself and uh, let it out and somehow of course god obviously is over this whole thing and he made sure that it made its way to uh, paul's nephew's ears and he came and told it notice too, too by the way this is this is interesting how closely guarded this is as far as we can tell the only people who knew this thing in the whole barracks was paul the nephew and the commander lyceus nobody else because uh, paul had to call the centurion over so he didn't overhear what the nephew said and when he tells the centurion to go tell the commander all he says is take this young man he has something to say he doesn't tell him what it is and then when the commander has a little boy he takes him aside by the hand and talks privately and then charges him not to tell anyone else so god has kept this the jews know nothing in other words of this and he arranges then uh to take him away the third hour of the night that would be nine o'clock when they would be leaving did you notice the size of this escort by the way we're talking 470 roman soldiers wow and uh, here god could have used paul's friends he could have used any means he could have used nobody but i love it because here he chose the, to use the means supplied by his own adversaries the jews had hated paul they were the ones responsible for him being uh with the roman soldiers to begin with and so he uses the roman soldiers to uh take paul to caesarea god god delights in doing things like that using the weak to uh bring to naught the the strong and to use the uh, means supplied by his enemies certainly the greatest example is the cross isn't it beginning with the devil himself the jews the gentiles the romans everybody cooperated to put to death the son of god and god used that to save us from our sins man what a great god well what can we learn from this first of all let's look at paul i said earlier he was god was teaching him experientially you know in real life not theoretically uh some lessons first of all god never promises believers exemption from suffering okay even though paul was delivered here on the contrary in conforming us to the image of his son he uses suffering to bring that process about doesn't he health success and prosperity are poor tools for molding christian character come on is it aren't they <laughs> in fact 
even in the case of paul he would later be arrested and executed for his faith about 10 years from this point here however god does promise one thing no matter what the circumstances he says this in fact paul had just finished writing these words in a letter to the romans all things work together for good for those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose notice he says there all things that means the good and the bad work together in the hands of god that's a promise paul had just written those words and he's experiencing that now right now in a in a deeper way i think than he ever had and so it's it's not surprising to me that shortly after this experience he writes this i have learned in whatever state i am to be content i know how to be abased and i know how to abound i can do all things there it is all things again through christ who strengthens me and as it was for paul so it is for us it's not hard to learn to be content when we're abounding is it i don't have to learn that lesson that that comes natural even godless people do that you know when the sun is shining everybody's healthy they're well off have plenty of food even they praise god at that point it's the times when we are tempted to question his love his wisdom and his power and during those times we say though he slay me yet will i trust him like job that's when it's noticed that's when it makes a difference that's when people stand up and take notice and it brings glory to god it's great to praise god when everything is uh, going our way but people don't really notice that it's the other it's not until like paul we are truly content in the darkest hours like christ by the way that we're on the path of truly being conformed to his image let's pray father we thank you for the example of paul most of all father we thank you for the wonderful example of your son and lord we do confess it's easy to praise the lord when the sun is shining lord we just ask for grace that we might do the same when the clods blot out the sun so that during those times others may see christ in us and that you may be glorified for we ask it in his precious name amen